Hi, I'm Constance of First Generation Healers. Today we're chatting with hormone diva Robin Srigley. She's a holistic nutritionist, women's health coach, author, and speaker. I absolutely love this description from Robin's website about what she does. Robin is here to help women with hormonal dysfunction who are living in a state of overwhelm and anxiety to live harmoniously with the rhythms of their bodies. She does this so these women can stand in their power and use self-love as a catalyst for lasting change and happy hormones. We'll be chatting about Robin's journey, PCOS, and our hormones. Also, what birth control does to our bodies. So I love your title, The Hormone Diva. How did you become The Hormone Diva? When I was in nutrition school, I really felt like I was just going to be kind of a generalist. I was going to work with everybody on anything and super exciting. And I quickly realized that one, that doesn't get you a lot of clients being too general. And two, going through my own experience of, you know, coming off the pill while I was in nutrition school, going through what I like to call my, my second puberty, which is like just crazy symptom flare ups. Like you wouldn't believe like weight gain and acne and hair growth and hair loss and no periods and moody and all these things. Uh, And then eventually being diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS, you know, all they had to offer me was birth control, which I didn't want to go back on or metformin, which is a drug for diabetics. And I didn't want to do any of that. And so it was kind of my own journey of, you know, balancing myself naturally, reversing my symptoms naturally, where I was like, yes, there's, I realized there's millions of other women dealing with the same things and I want to help them. And so that's kind of how I got started doing that. So in case anyone doesn't know what PCOS is, what is it and what signs are there that you have it? PCOS affects around one in 10 women. So it's a lot and you may not know it yet. It can also be sometimes difficult to get a diagnosis because there are three criteria as part of the diagnosis. You must have two out of the three for a diagnosis. So first one is high levels of androgen hormones like testosterone, for example. And this can often be seen in symptoms like hair loss, facial and body hair growth, acne, irregular cycles. The second is to have irregular cycles or not be ovulating. And then the third is to have uh, cysts on your ovaries. That is usually the biggest barrier to diagnosis is the cysts because you don't actually need them to be diagnosed. But most doctors hesitate to give a diagnosis without those cysts. And I mean, you know, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, it sounds like you kind of got to have cysts, right? I think they really need to change the name of it, to be honest, or, or change the diagnostic criteria for it. Those are the three main criteria for diagnosis. But in terms of, you know, how you might be feeling, which might lead you to be like, hey, doctor, like, you think maybe this is going on for me. Um, so like I said, the hair and skin issues, irregular absent periods, struggling to get pregnant. So how a lot of women find out they have it, they try to get pregnant and they can't. Weight gain. Um, So about half of women with PCOS are overweight, um, but you can be extremely lean as well and still have PCOS, but that's one potential factor. Mental health issues, you know, mood swings, irritability, anxiety, depression are all part of PCOS. Struggling with blood sugar. So you might on blood work show that you have insulin or blood sugar issues, or you might just be feeling, you know, symptoms of that, for example, like feeling hangry between your meals, like where you haven't eaten in like two or three hours and you feel irritable and brain foggy and you snap at everyone and you're just ravenous and you just can't eat enough food, like that kind of stuff as well. Those would be kind of the biggest in terms of, you know, symptoms. Other things that can sometimes happen are prolonged menstrual bleeding. So instead of bleeding for like three or five days or even up to a week, you're bleeding literally for weeks or months at a time. 
constant, constant. And, and so that can be really frustrating as well. And that's another one where they might be like, hey, let's just take out your organs, right? And you might not even, you know, need that necessarily. You can stop the bleeding for sure. But those would kind of be the biggest ones. And if you're struggling with any of those things or any combination of those things, then I would definitely go to your doctor. Again, like if they're not hearing you, they just are not wanting to look into things further, then go somewhere else. Keep trucking until you get what you need, the answers that you require, even if they're not able to support you with treatments because you don't want to do, you know, pill or whatever they offer, you know, having that answer is super helpful because then you can kind of, you know, do some more research in that area, see where you can support yourself and all that good stuff. Going the path of healing yourself naturally can be lonely. Did you feel supported or did you feel pressure to go back on the pill again? Family, they didn't really understand the condition and what I was going through. And so they weren't really sharing too many opinions on what I should do. They didn't really get it in terms of like why I was doing what I was doing. Cause definitely my family is like, if you have an issue, you take a pill kind of thing. Right. So it was definitely not in that route. Doctors are, have never been supportive right from the beginning up until now, they still try to push medications on me every time I go in, even though I'm more or less just going in there for like updates on blood work and stuff, but they still like to offer all of that stuff to me. So yeah, definitely felt you know, pretty lonely for a long time because I didn't know anyone else with PCOS. I felt just crazy, like what all the things that I was dealing with. And that's part of the reason why too, like where I have, you know, my online Facebook groups and different things, because I want women to be able to connect with each other because it's so isolating and lonely to feel like you're just the only one. You're just this weird old woman who has to deal with all of these things and no one else is dealing with it. But when you can kind of have, you know, a lot of people around you who are dealing with the same thing, it becomes, you know, a little bit easier. Was there one defining moment where you felt like, yeah, the pill is not doing anything for me and I'm absolutely done with it? I mean, I went on the pill as a teenager for contraception. So it wasn't for like PCOS or period issues, although they were present. I just didn't know at the time that they weren't normal. We had a like a special guest teacher come in when I was in nutrition school and talked about birth control and all the potential risks and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, in all the years I'd been on the pill, you know, seven years at that point, I'd been on many different variations of the pill not once was I ever told about this. So I truly did not have informed consent in using that medication. And so that was the last day that I ever took a pill. I never did again. I will never, ever go back on it no matter what. That's of course my personal choice. But I feel like looking back on it, I dealt with a lot of side effects from the pill, right? That I thought were just like, weird quirks of my own, but they really weren't. It was just feeling like crazy moody or just kind of flat, like not really feeling super great or super horrible, just really kind of numb and just kind of assuming that that was normal, never really connecting it to the pill until later on when I had come off. And I really love that in your program and just in your own journey, you found your own way, you paved your own path and you chose your own health. Like no matter what the doctor said, you actually did like your own testing too for yourself. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, absolutely. So there have been many, many times where I've gone to a doctor and said, look, I just want to get some tests done. I just want to check on how things are going. And typically they say no, because I'm not taking any treatments from them, medications and and so on. There was a point in time about three years ago now, actually, where I went to my family doctor, I asked for tests. She's like, nope. She's like, I'll send you to the gynecologist. She'll do the test. So I went to the gyno. I said what I needed to say. I asked for the test. She said, nope, sorry, not going to give you the test. And so I had to lie to her and say, I was trying to get pregnant. 
I was not at the time, but I had to say that in order for her to then refer me to a fertility specialist who then did the test. So it was quite a runaround in doing that. And so at this point in time, typically I will do testing on my own. So like now it's amazing. There's so many at-home test kits. If you have doctors who don't want to give you what you need in order to see what's going on in your body, that's one of the great things is you can kind of get these tests at home and sometimes you spit in a tube or you prick a finger uh, and you can get results yourself and you can bypass, you know, all of that, you know, medical trauma in a sense. Yeah. I saw that from your lungs. It's just absolutely amazing. I was showing my husband, I'm like, you can check your vitamins online. Like there's yeah. so many things in your hormones and everything. So I was curious about your take. Cause I did take your little workshop that you had mm-hmm. on like dieting. And like, you talked about so many amazing things in there. How do you feel about coffee and, and the impact that you see with caffeine in general and how does it impact PCOS? Definitely coffee is something I get asked a lot about, and it can be tricky depending on the individual. But what I find is that women with PCOS or women with, you know, hormonal imbalances in general, like those of us who are just crazy stressed, we're constantly on the go, we're using coffee as a crutch or a vice. It's not something that we're just savoring and enjoying and relaxing with and things like that. It's a vice to help us get through the day. It's like, don't talk to me until I've had my morning coffee or I'm going to crash in the afternoon. So I better get a coffee. And so that's not necessarily a great way to go about it. And it can definitely impact the health of our adrenal glands, how our stress response works, which then downline to everything else we're feeling, right. Can make a lot of things worse. But that being said, like one of my things, is not removing food groups if we don't need to or foods, you know, no food is off limits. It's just a matter of like making better choices more of the time. And so one of the things that I usually recommend when it comes to coffee is in the morning with food always. So not on an empty stomach that will shoot the cortisol up even more and make you feel like more jittery and you'll get more of that crash later on, Um, but rather keeping it in the morning. So like before noon, so it's not messing with your sleep always with food and, you know, just trying not to have like 50 cups in a day. Like I've had some clients who are drinking, you know, five, 10 cups of coffee in a day. And if that's you and you're listening to this, that's totally fine. Like I'm not trying to judge anyone here and the process of you know, reducing that might be a little bit tricky if you've been relying on that so long to get through your life. Like if you're going to do it minimum in the morning with food, have it, you know, with milk and sugar, whatever you like in it, rather than black on an empty stomach or just relying on it as a vice to kind of get through your life. And it's amazing. I gave up coffee for a while last year. I'm trying to work on it again and do like the matcha. It's just so funny how you can just, you can actually like think and focus and you take in things slowly and you're like, okay, I don't have to freak out about this. My anxiety was so much better. Like it was non-existent. I felt like. It makes so many people jittery and sometimes they don't even realize it because again, like they're going from coffee to coffee to coffee throughout the day. They're feeling crazy wired. They're worrying all the time. You know, their brain never shuts off. They're tense, like their shoulders are up at their ears and they don't even realize it. And then once you kind of start cutting back on that stuff and really being able to just be more self-aware about how you're feeling and, and what your body requires. And you really realize like, wow, this was actually affecting me in a negative way. And I didn't even know. Years ago, I used to have two coffees in the morning, maybe five or seven Red Bulls in a day. Over time, I realized doing my own research that the pill was causing my anemia. It's so interesting how the pill can alter your body. Yeah, it definitely does. And like the pill is just craziness. I have a cousin on my husband's side who 
think she was 28 or 29 years old, had a stroke because of the pill. So it's crazy what can happen. And like I said, you know, in my experience, and I think a lot of other women, we truly don't have informed consent because we're just not told about these things, right? Because the doctors just want you to take it. (laughs) So they don't want to tell you about all the potential issues. Absolutely. Yeah, they're just treating the symptoms. It's really sad. And I love that you hear your body and you listen to it. That's how you are where you are now. For sure. And that definitely takes time because, you know, a lot of the women that I work with, one of the things that they say to me is, you know what, I just want to understand what my body needs. Like, I just don't, you know, the things that I try, it's not making me feel well. I don't feel good. I don't feel healthy. I just want to understand what my body needs. And honestly, like that is not something that happens overnight. And I think this is part of the reason why you know, a lot of us will give up on what we're trying to do because it's not happening quick enough. You know, this is not a situation like a headache. You take an Advil, pain's gone in an hour or whatever. It's very different. The key is definitely consistency and whatever you try to do, whether that thing, whatever you're trying to do to help yourself works or not, it will bring more of that self-awareness, more of that body awareness of like, okay, so I'm doing this and how do I feel? Right. Or I'm having the coffee. How is it actually making me feel instead of just using it and just kind of blindly kind of, you know, tunnel vision, not thinking about what you do and and what you eat and how those things are affecting you and how they make you feel. And so like at this point now, you know, I know there are certain things that don't make me feel good. Sure. You know, maybe I eat them from time to time because they're yummy and or maybe I don't have a choice depending on the situation I'm in. Right. For the most part, those things I try to avoid because I like when I feel good, right? And so the more that we can prioritize that, I think is super important. Understanding what your body needs definitely does not happen overnight. So it's certainly, you know, don't get discouraged on that journey. Just keep going because you will eventually find a rhythm. I agree. It's hard to get out of that mindset that you want that quick fix though. So then you go to the comfort food and the comfort food isn't very comforting for very long at all. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's the same thing like the coffee or going uh, for sugar or like fast food or any of those things. You know, at the time, it's physically, you know, satiating, it's emotionally, mentally comforting. And then maybe an hour later, you feel worse than before you ate it. Paying attention to those kinds of things instead of feeling like I'm broken and food hates me. And, And that's not true. It's just a matter of like, paying closer attention. And this is a skill you have to develop like anything else, right? Like driving a car was a skill you had to learn. You probably sucked at it at first or like learning to walk when you're a baby. All, they all suck at first. They fall down a million times, right? But eventually you get your stride and you walk no problem. This is no different than that. Often the solution for PCOS is the removal of organs. How do you feel about this? I think that is highly unnecessary in many cases. There, for example, like hysterectomies, doctors will say, okay, so, you know, we've tried the pill, we've tried different variations of the pill, whatever, you're still having PCOS issues, you know, you're still gaining weight, you're still having heavy flow or whatever the things are. So let's just cut it out. But the thing is, that cures nothing, regardless of whether it's PCOS or any other kind of, you know, women's health issue, let's say, cutting out an organ doesn't fix anything. Obviously, there are some instances where this is very necessary, especially in emergency situations, of course, right? I'm not trying to say that surgery is bad by any means. Certainly, it can be very, very beneficial in a lot of circumstances. But to expect that having some organs removed is going to fix all your issues and you're going to feel amazing after is just not true. You know, and a lot of times 
in the example of a hysterectomy, like they'll get that removed, but that puts you into instant menopause, which gives you a whole nother set of issues, right? And a lot of times these women then end up on, you know, hormone replacement therapy for the rest of their lives just to kind of try to balance themselves as much as they can. And, and oftentimes even those meds start, you know, not working over time or things like uh, gallbladder removal, which is huge among women with PCOS and actually is connected to, you know, our, our blood sugar response and our estrogen and things like that, you know, gosh, probably 20, the 20% of the women who go through my program, you know, don't have a gallbladder anymore and it's crazy. And then they can't digest food and they're not having bowel movements and they have horrible moods and oily skin and, you know, all of these other things, you know, they were never told, Hey, you had this organ removed. Now you need to support your digestion because the gallbladder is not there to help anymore. They're never told that when I say, Hey, just take like a bile supplement to replace. They've never heard this in their life. Right. So Definitely emergency situations. Surgery is amazing. Medicine is amazing. In those situations, I would definitely not want to go to a Reiki practitioner if I was, you know, in need of that, right? I want to go see a doctor. I want to have the surgery, whatever. But if it's not an emergency situation, you know, really think about it, you know, get all of the facts, which you might not be receiving from your doctor. Let's be honest, right? Like get all the facts, do your own research, advocate for yourself, you know, maybe even delay the surgery, See what you can do in that time to make yourself feel better. And if your efforts don't work, then maybe go ahead with the surgery. But a lot of times the doctor will kind of put fear on us, right? Like if you don't do this, this is going to happen to you and it's going to be horrible, right? And so we end up being so afraid that we're just like, okay, okay, do it. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely really scary. It's like that feeling that, okay, so I'm given this body that just doesn't work. Even you start to not trust your body. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think any of the women that I work with, at least at the beginning, trust their body. They really don't because you feel like you're constantly in a battle against your own body. And and I know that feeling all too well myself. You know, I may not be there anymore or there are times where I get to that point, but then I kind of am able to get myself out of it because I've been working on this for so long, but it's like a battle and you just feel like nothing you do ever works. You're just you know, why can't you be like everyone else? Like, why can't we just go about our lives and enjoy our lives? Why do we have to feel like horrible all the time? You know, why can't we just function the way that we're supposed to function? And, you know, a lot of the women I work with too are trying to get pregnant. And so that's even more devastating. Like, why can't my body, a woman's body do exactly what it was designed to do, which is make babies and give birth, right? And so it's, it's very frustrating. The mental health impact of any of these issues, you know, is huge. You're a success story as far as having a baby with PCOS. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So actually in conceiving my son, it kind of sort of started when I faked that I was trying to get pregnant and went to that fertility specialist. So that was like November, 2017. I went in there, finally was able to get some blood work done. And the reason I push so much for that is because I'm in Canada. And so if our doctors do it, it's covered by the government. We don't have to pay for it. So if we can do that, like that's why I was pushing so hard to get it at the doctors versus the home tests. And so some tests came back. My thyroid was off. I suspected this for a long time, but again, no doctors would ever do a deep dive into my thyroid. And so it was never confirmed, but finally it was confirmed. I started taking meds for that. Within five months, so like March of 2018, I my levels were totally normal. I felt like a totally different person. And I should just, as a note, it wasn't just the meds. I did other things to support my body. I just didn't rely on that. I just want to make that clear. And I was feeling good. My cycles were coming. I was ovulating. Things were amazing. That June, I moved. And then 
I moved in with my, my now husband by September, I was pregnant and I will share that I was not actively trying. We were going to start trying the following year, but I just happened to, to fall pregnant naturally. And so that was like an incredible surprise because I had for years been told by doctors that it would be either impossible or next to impossible to get pregnant, especially without doing, you know, invasive treatments like IVF, IUI, like the fertility type treatments. And so to be able to, you know, support my body in a way, so it worked in the way that it was designed to work. And I was able to get pregnant was amazing. And I know like you and I have have chatted a bit uh, in the messenger, like I puked a lot and stuff. So um, during my pregnancy and everything, like I didn't feel great during it, but it was a healthy pregnancy. I didn't get gestational diabetes, which is very common in PCOS. Everything was great. Baby's health was great. My health was great. It was just amazing to kind of go through that experience. And I think, you know, in sharing my journey of that, it was also kind of inspiring for, for some other women to continue, you know, working on themselves and and supporting themselves. And I'm not saying, you know, that doing fertility treatments is bad by any means. Those, the, the technology is incredible and it's amazing. And if that's the choice you choose to make, that's amazing. But there are things you can do to support your body to either get pregnant naturally or during those treatments so that they're hopefully more, you know, successful. That's absolutely amazing. And birth itself is another way that you feel like you can trust your body. I feel like, like that's something I had to learn when I, so I wanted to try a natural birth. It was so hard because I, I, I chose not to use any drugs. I don't know if I'd do that again, but it was amazing to see like, wow, my body can actually do this. Like I didn't think it could. Yeah. It's definitely a crazy experience. Like I, I wanted a natural birth and a home birth, um, but I actually had quite a difficult delivery and some complications, which meant I had to transfer to the hospital and ended up um, needing an epidural and also uh, forceps in order to get my baby out. So it was definitely difficult. Um, but also through that process, like you said, you know, learning to trust your body. And for a long time, I was mad at my body. Like, why couldn't I have just, you know, birthed him by myself, just like these women? Why can't I just get pregnant? You know what I mean? Um, and the more that you kind of reflect on that, support yourself physically, mentally, you can kind of let those things go and and learn to trust your body, even if it's not doing what you want in the way you want in the time you want. Oh, I definitely agree. And a big part of, and I'm sure it helps you with the birthing too, is stress management is a huge part of your program. Can you tell mm-hmm. me about what that looks like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So stre- I always say like stress management, like it's your job. Like this is not something doctors talk about unless they're like, oh, you know, just relax. Like you stress too much. Or if you're trying to get pregnant, oh, just relax and it'll happen. You know, this, this BS advice. Yeah. <laughs> um, truly, truly stress management like it's your job. It is so incredibly important because if we are constantly stressed out, we're in this fight or flight mode all the time, you know, it's a good thing to have, right? We need that stress response for certain situations, but with the lifestyles that we all tend to lead now, where we're constantly on the go, we have a million things that we're juggling at any one time. We're always thinking and worrying about things. We're always tense, um, you know, shallow breathing, all of these things, our body's in fight or flight. And when we are in that mode, we cannot heal. We must be in this rest, digest, detoxify, and heal mode, which is the opposite of fight or flight in order to heal, in order to feel better, in order to digest our food. Digestion is shut down if we're in fight or flight. In order to have, you know, 
healthy menstrual cycles in order to conceive. Because again, if we are not, if we are in fight or flight, our body doesn't care about reproduction. It doesn't care about having, you know, beautifully easy periods that are, you know, not heavy and pain-free and, or conceiving a baby or any of these things. It doesn't care. It cares about getting you through whatever the stress is. And so if you're constantly there and you're never paying attention to that, you can eat all the most amazing organic pasteurized top quality food there is in the whole world and you still won't feel better. Or same thing with exercise. You can exercise your ass off and you still will not feel better if you don't manage your stress. And so one of the things that I teach is what I call the sacred six. And so it's essentially like you pick six practices to create a bit of a self-care routine for yourself. You don't have to do all six of them every day. It's just kind of like a list of things, right? You're doing one or two of these a day, even for five minutes, right? People underestimate, you know, what's required. You don't need to go, you know, for an hour long massage twice a week. You don't need to be, you know, meditating for two hours a day at morning and sunset. You know, that's not realistic, right? Even five minutes of something super simple, like sitting in a room by yourself in silence, you know, even that will help to get yourself out of that fight or flight so that every other function of your body is able to work in the way that it's supposed to. Like it's so, so critical. And for me personally, when I was first dealing with PCOS, I was trying to get my cycles back from, you know, every three to four months to what is normal, like around every once a month. And the foods were helping a little bit, exercise helped a little bit more, but I was still not able to get it down where I wanted. And so I had so much worry and anxiety about this that I was like, oh, I have to stop focusing on this and I need to deal with my anxiety. And by focusing on my stress, my period started coming regularly. So it's super, super important. So that's got to be number one for your clients is stress. Absolutely. And it's often the place that they find the most difficult to make changes, right? Because you think about, yeah, I want to get healthy. Okay, so your mind's already in, I'm going to eat vegetables, or I'm going to eat, you know, well, or I'm going to move my body, I'm going to do some kind of exercise, or I'm going to take a bunch of supplements, I'm going to get a multivitamin and this and that, right? They don't think about the stress or they, you know, ignore it maybe even without realizing that they are. And so I do find, you know, when it comes time to think about that, it's hard for them. But when they do it, they feel amazing. I agree. And I love that you don't have like limitations on food because even a diet can be stressful to change to, I feel like. And when you're talking about all those things that we think are healthy, that sounds stressful to me when I think about it. I've never realized that before. It's like, I have to take all these different things and you have like, like I have so many supplements I can take right now. I'm like, wow, that's actually very stressful when I think about it. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of food anxiety. There's a lot of disordered eating among women with various hormonal imbalances, PCOS, endometriosis, you know, you name it. And I don't mean like anorexia or bulimia, although those things are present too, but just disordered eating where you're constantly thinking about food, you're, you're, you obsess about food, you feel like there are good foods versus bad foods, you know, you feel guilty about the foods you eat, because you either know they're, you know, not nutritious, or you're not quite sure if they're what's right for your body. Uh, And so there's a lot of like mindset issues around this and mental health issues around this. And so the idea is, yeah, like, let's talk about some things that would support your body to feel better, but let's not obsess over that. Let's enjoy those foods. We'll make them as tasty as we, we can, you know, we'll enjoy them. But the times when, you know, we have cake at a birthday or we have cookies at Christmas, or we do, you know, fast food drive through because we're just so exhausted or that's what needs to happen. You know, it's fine. We have to eat. It's all good. Like the idea of, you know, 
keeping ourselves frustrated all the time and speaking to ourselves in really horrible and negative ways because of what we eat is just silliness. Like we need to eat to survive. If it's not super nutritious, it is what it is. I mean, literally for lunch today, before we got on this, I went and picked up Denny's. Yes, it was like eggs and bacon and stuff. You know, it's not the greatest, whatever, but it is what it is because today was just a running around day and I had no food in the fridge because it's grocery day. And so that's what happened. And I don't feel guilty about it. I ate because I needed to eat and I ate what, what I could. And that was that, right? It's better than starving yourself. I've gone times mm-hmm. where I'm like, well, this is all I have in the house and it's bad for me. So then I just won't eat. And that's not good either. Hmm. Absolutely. And I find that a lot of times too, you know, women will just not eat in part because of like the reasons you were just describing, but also in part because they're afraid that they are already eating too much. And they're like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to gain so much weight or it's going to mess my he- with my health in this way and that way. And so I'm just not going to eat. And so I'll, you know, hear people of like, well, I just kind of eat once a day or I just kind of eat like I graze, you know, here and there, or I skip breakfast or I do these things. And, but then they're super frustrated because they're like, oh, I have so many cravings. Like I can't seem to stay away from these foods. And then maybe they'll end up binging and they'll eat like the whole package of Oreos or whatever. But if you just kind of ate and you just kind of like supported your body through the day, like these things just don't come up. And if they do, then just eat the thing and move on. (laughs) I like that theory. (laughs) I'm going to go eat some that. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. (laughs) It is. (laughs) But I do agree with something that you had in your class. Um, I did see the impact on if I take out dairy, there's less um, breakouts for me. That's a definite one. So I have to note that too. Yeah, for sure. And that's another thing of like that self-awareness that we were kind of discussing before, right? Like the more that you go into this, the more you'll realize that certain foods, you know, maybe contribute to your symptoms. And, and sometimes this can lead us to cut out whole food groups. For example, like carbs is a big one right now. Like carbs make me bloat, carbs make me gain rate, you know, everywhere I read says go low carb, go keto, this kind of stuff. But going with this example, right? Like carbs are our main source of fuel. Like our body needs that glucose, right? And actually when you go on those low carb or ketogenic type diets, the reason why you might feel better, especially at first is because in order for your body to function that way, it will increase levels of stress hormones like cortisol, adrenaline, and this can temporarily make us feel better. And then we end up just feeling way, way worse and and we gain all the weight back we lost on the diets or our symptoms come back or whatever it is, right? Like it's, it's a matter of how do we support our body to be able to handle as much variety as possible in our food. And it's just amazing. Like, even if I don't drink enough water, I can like alter my hormones and cause them to be out of flux. It's just amazing to me. Yeah, absolutely. So do you feel like, um, as far as reproduction, health for women, it has a long way to go. Absolutely. I think things are starting to turn because there's a lot more awareness and open discussion about our rights, about what happens in women's bodies, about what's normal and not normal, which I think is fantastic. However, it while there might be these kind of like overarching movements of things that are happening, when it comes to individual like doctors, individual practitioners that you might normally be going to see, they still have the same mindset of take these pills, do this surgery. If you don't, I'm not going to help you. Or if you come into my office and you're saying things like, you know, more than me, I don't want to help you. 
right? Because if you go in there and you try to stand up for yourself and you're like, well, no, but I've read and researched, you know, X, Y, Z, they don't tend to like that very much. So downline, right? Like the individual stuff hasn't really changed very much at this point. And still like things like birth control are kind of, you know, the fix all it's all they've got to offer any kind of women's health issue. Even those trying to get pregnant, they will often be offered birth control to use for a month or two to quote unquote, fix their cycles first, which I think is just the craziest thing there is. So there's definitely a lot of work to do. That being said, though, there is a lot of choice. And I think that we can forget that, like that we have agency over our own bodies, that we have choices, that we don't have to take any medications, no matter how hard they're pushed on us. We don't have to. We don't have to do any surgery if we don't want to do it, right? And it's okay to go into a doctor's office or wherever and stand up for ourselves. If they don't like it, too bad, right? We can find someone else or we can do, you know, at-home testing or we can find, you know, a naturopath or a nutritionist or whoever, right? Someone who gets it and knows how to help us uh, support our body. So definitely, I think there's some big changes that have been happening in the last, you know, five to 10 years, but there's still a lot more to go. Yeah, I definitely agree on that. Especially if your doctor's not hearing you, that's really tough. There's been, I don't know how many countless times I have come out of the doctor's office in tears because you go in there and you just want help so freaking bad because you're so over feeling the way you're feeling and they don't want to help you and they belittle you and they make you feel stupid and you come out of there feeling like a little five-year-old girl who doesn't know anything about anything. You know what I mean? And it's a real blow to our already super fragile mental health. And I hear same stories from others all the time, just hating to go to the doctor's extreme anxiety before going to the doctor's office, you know, tears coming away from the, and just being like, you know, having to go from doctor to doctor to doctor because no one wants to help you. And this, you know, like I said, impacts our mental health in a negative way, but also really lengthens the amount of time that these women are suffering because they're not getting a diagnosis, let's say for a really long time, like endometriosis, for example, the average is about 10 years from when you first, you know, go to the doctor about symptoms till you're diagnosed because you get such a runaround, right? And so it's super frustrating and it just adds to our lack of trust in ourselves, lack of trust in the medical system, but feeling like that, you know, we have nowhere else to turn. Uh, And so it just becomes, you know, again, very confusing and isolating to deal with. That reminds me of, I read how irregular pap smears are normal with the pill and I had that and then they had me go through a biopsy and there was nothing. It was so frustrating. Like a biopsy is so uncomfortable. Yes, absolutely. I have been through that myself and it was awful, awful. And again, right. It just, you know, constantly having to do these invasive things, you know, taking one medication, getting side effects. So taking a medication to deal with those side effects. And then maybe that one has side effects and getting, you know, something else. It's like you take the pill. And so you end up feeling depressed. And so you go on an antidepressant and that makes you feel awful and numb and flat. And so you turn to coffee and you're constantly going to coffee to perk yourself. You know, it's just this kind of crazy, vicious cycle that we end up in. That's like my journey. And then all the UTIs that are normal and then Mm -hmm. they're normal. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, how is this normal? So then I just accept it. Like every month, a UTI, like this is fine. Like it doesn't make any sense. And then I go off the pill and there's no more UTIs. I'm just like, what's going on? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And that's one thing too, like the long-term effects of a lot of these medications, birth control included, are generally not researched at all or very well. And so they're not known as well as when you're taking a combination of medications, there's not studies that tell you what happens to your body if you take 
birth control, cholesterol meds, and antidepressants all together, for example, for 10 years. We don't know what, what's going to happen, right? There's no research on that. We do that because we trust what the doctors tell us, and then we end up feeling worse, and we don't realize that it might be related to, to the medications we're on, even though they're supposed to help us feel better. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Like you're saying that like whole cocktail within you, all that chemistry, like chemicals going on, it's insane. And your body stores some of it, which is insane too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like there can be permanent effects from using birth control. You know, even when you come off of it, there are things that may remain for the rest of your life or you have to work, um, you know, extra hard to kind of get rid of them. You know, giving your body any kind of synthetic hormone is not ideal. Obviously, there are times and places, like I said, for, for meds or for surgeries or whatever, like I'm not trying to say that I'm not judging anyone at any time for taking medications. But the idea is like, be informed, make an empowered choice, understand as much as possible, right? As much as there's evidence to tell us, right, what's going to happen in your body if you use these, and especially if you use them, you know, for long term, like using birth control for a long period of time, that just shuts off the connection between your brain and your ovaries. And so when you come off of it, you end up with so many more problems because your body hasn't been cycling on its own for so long, the connection's broken, and then you end up feeling just awful. And so like post-pill PCOS is a real thing. It's like, no, before the pill, I didn't have any of these issues. I came off the pill and now all of a sudden I've gained 50 pounds and I'm growing a beard and I'm losing all my hair and, you know, all of these things because of what, you know, these medications and the synthetic stuff that we're putting into our bodies is doing. It's so scary. It's like creating a monster inside of you. It is. Absolutely. I want to know more about your PCOS holiday challenge. So this is coming up soon. Um, So the challenge that I typically run, you know, every other month or so is the break the sugar cycle challenge. And so what we're going to do this year is a special holiday edition of that. And while it sounds like a challenge where I say don't eat sugar, that's actually not what this is about. It's a challenge of recognizing what's going on in your body, understanding what you can do to support your body so that you don't necessarily have so many cravings. And then of course, shifting your mindset to like we were talking about, like if you eat the thing, eat the thing and it's cool and how to release the guilt on that and just move on. And so what we're going to do this time with the, with the holiday challenge is because there's a lot of stress around the holidays. Like we've got extra stuff to do. There's a lot more food being thrown at us. And so we're going to focus on like, how can we feel as good as possible. Like feeling good is the priority. How can we do that through the holidays so we don't get to January and feel intense guilt and regret for the decisions, you know, that we made uh, during that time? Like the last three months of the year are the hardest for a lot of us because it's just so busy and there's so much, you know, sugar and stuff like that everywhere. And so we're going to kind of talk about that from a holistic point of view, also really paying attention to you know, your mindset around the thing so that we're not beating ourselves up because that really gets us nowhere. It's just wasted energy, right? So let's just, you know, feel fine about our decisions, whether we eat a whole bunch of Christmas cookies or we don't, it's all good. It's all okay. We can still support our body through it in addition to having those things if that's what we want to do. And so that's what we're going to focus on uh, in November. I was really surprised to read this week because my son wouldn't eat his gummies. And I did that thing where you're like, oh, I'll just eat them then that like sugar can actually increase your anxiety. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, I was like, why am I so anxious right now? Like everything just seems like it's falling apart. I was like, oh wait, it's the sugar. It definitely affects our mood. Absolutely. And part of the reason for that is how it affects our blood sugar response. So like, let's say we're eating, you know, candy or chocolate or some kind of baked good, which is really 
you know, simple sugars. Like when we eat it, it's going to spike our blood sugar immediately versus, you know, an apple, which has fiber and vitamins and minerals and stuff. And it's kind of going to be a little bit less in terms of spiking our blood sugar. And so when that happens, initially we might feel a little bit on edge, jittery, more anxious. It might help with our energy a little bit, right? Just like coffee would. So some women will, you know, reach for sugary stuff in the afternoon to help with their energy crashes and stuff like that. And then we crash later and we feel exhausted. We feel depressed, you know, all of these kinds of things. And it's this crazy kind of blood sugar roller coaster that we're always on. And not to say that you, you know, can never eat sugar or shouldn't ever eat sugar or anything like that. I think that's just, you know, a ridiculous notion to kind of be like, nah, I'm just never going to have sugar ever again. And like, that's silliness. Like, of course you are. It's fine. It's fine though. But rather how to you know, support ourselves so we don't have that kind of crazy blood sugar roller coaster, right? So that we're not going, you know, from anxious to depressed or like super jittery to exhausted and and things like that, which, you know, those simple refined and processed sugars really will do if that's what we rely on, just like the coffee we talked about, right? If that's what we're relying on to get through the day versus something that it's like, oh, yes, I'm going to savor this. It's delicious. I'm going to enjoy it. It's, you know, part of a fun experience that I'm having or whatever. That's cool. But if it's like a vice, right, that's where we get that kind of crazy roller coaster. And then it messes with our hormones and we just feel awful all the time. Oh, yeah, definitely. I love that you went over that. And then where do we find your challenge again? So if you are in my Facebook group, the Happy Hormone Sisterhood, the announcements are made in there. I also do that through my email list. So if you want to be on that, you can send me a DM or contact me through my website, let you get my email notices. And that will be running, I want to say the second week in November, but I can't remember exactly. It's before US Thanksgiving. (laughs) Okay, that's exciting. Yeah. (laughs) I think I'll definitely try that out. Can we cure PCOS? PCOS is a chronic health condition. There is no cure. So for example, like getting a hysterectomy will not cure your PCOS because PCOS is a full body metabolic and endocrine disorder. It's not just a funky ovary. And if you cut it off, everything is going to go away. You know, your lady beard's going to go away. The belly's going to go. It's not it's not what it is. So it is definitely something that is a lifelong condition. How it shows up will change over time, you know, from teenager to like fertile menstrual age through to menopause. Like there's going to be things that come up forever. That being said, regardless of that fact, there are, you know, infinite numbers of things that you can do to support yourself to either prevent certain things from happening. For example, like women with PCOS are much more prone to Um, developing diabetes, endometrial cancer, and uh, what am I forgetting? Heart disease as well, like as they age. But if you're taking care of yourself now, your risk of that, right, is going to be significantly reduced. Or if you're dealing with fertility struggles or period issues or whatever it is now, you know, whatever you do with your lifestyle, with your food, et cetera, to support yourself can potentially completely reverse those issues. Um, So while it would be amazing if there was such a cure, there just isn't. And I just like to be honest about that because there are people out there, you know, articles, blogs, whatever, um, influencers, so-called experts and so on that will say, you know, they, they cure their PCOS, but that's not true because like, yeah, what if you do, you know, reverse every single one of your symptoms because of what you're eating and what you're supplementing or whatever. But if you stop doing those things, right, the symptoms are going to come back. It's not something that just goes away and then stays away. That makes sense. It's like if you go on a diet, you lose the weight and then you start eating everything again and then you gain the weight again. 
Exactly. Exactly. How do you feel about male gynecologists, doctors? For example, I've had one that liked to put his hand on my knee and tell me everything's going to be okay. And the nurse would come in and he would check on me. It was so awkward. I would have to agree. Um, seeing male doctors in general is not my favorite, regardless of the, <laughs> the issue. Um, I have had male gynecologists. It was at the birth of my son. So when we had to transfer to the hospital, there was two that came in. And then I saw one of them um, for follow-ups after the birth because I had a lot of um, pain and healing complications. And it just feels weird. It feels awkward. It feels like they don't truly understand what we're going through. And they can't, right? Of course they can't. They can try as much as they want to. Some of them maybe try more than others. But not being a woman, they can never get it. But that being said, I've had some bad experiences with females and I've heard many, many other women tell me like they have a female gynecologist who totally just dismisses them or blames it all on their weight or tells them it's normal or says it's all in your head. You know, you can get it from both sides, but I think it's more of like a personal comfort level. And for me, it just felt really weird. (laughs) I hadn't thought about that. Women can definitely make other women uncomfortable in that position. They do. They do. And it comes back to like, they feel like their authorities, they're in that position of power. They have, you know, authority over your body and what's going on in your health. They have more knowledge than you do, which by the way, is not true in a lot of different areas. Like I would know a lot more about PCOS than a lot of these just like general kind of family physicians or whatever. Um, So it's really like who listens to you and isn't just trying to shove a prescription and get you out of the office as quickly as possible. And if that's a man, then that's awesome. If it's a woman, that's awesome too. But if you're not getting that from whoever you're seeing, then again, right, advocating for yourself to find someone else is really important as much as it might be a huge headache when you finally find that, you know, right doctor or whatever, then it's great because when you go to them and you're like, hey, you know, I'm dealing with this. Do you think we could look into it? They're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Let's do this. And they're going to listen to you. Or if you say, hey, I've been changing, doing this with my diet and taking these supplements. What do you think about that? And they're going to be like, oh, my gosh, that sounds amazing. Tell me more. There are those out there. (laughs) There are. I swear. I haven't found one for myself, but I have clients (laughs) with doctors like that. Uh, And if that's what you require, then you know, don't continue to allow yourself to be belittled and talked down to by someone else. I by chance had someone like that where it happened. And I told her that I'm like, I know it's going to sound really stupid, but I'm doing family method. Like that's what I was doing before. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh no, that's like so easy. You just keep doing it. Like there's no problem with that. And I was like, so surprised. Like, wow, she like supports me in doing this, just listening to my body and following. Yeah, that's crazy for sure. A lot of the times, like I've said that too, because I used um, that kind of method to avoid pregnancy until I I didn't. (laughs) And then uh, I truly was not using it when I got pregnant. It wasn't just that the method sucked, just FYI for anyone (laughs) listening to this. Anytime, like after I had my son, they pushed birth control so hard. They're like, okay, you had a baby. So are you wanting to have another one right now? I said, no. Okay. So here's, you know, you can take birth control, you can do this, but also you should know that the fertility awareness method or whatever, like it's just crap. It doesn't work. And that's not true. Like it worked literally as long as I used it for five years. You know what I mean? And now I'm using it again until I'm ready for another one. And so don't let them make you feel like that doesn't work. You don't have to go on the pill if you don't want to for any reason. Do you help women with that too, the fertility method? Um, Well, I'm not like certified to help people learn the fertility awareness method. Um, So I definitely have 
other colleagues that I pass people on to who want to learn that more in depth, but I do share the basics. So for example, like using basal body temperature or checking your cervical mucus or fluid and stuff like that, you can begin to do that on your own. But like, even for me, I learned it, you know, I went to go see someone who specialized in one of the, because there's different variations of it in one of the, the variations I've learned to actually over the years. And so it definitely can be helpful, especially if you really want to rely on that to either avoid pregnancy or get pregnant. There can be a lot of like nuances to using that method to kind of learn your own body. And that's not something I can help people with. But if that's what you want to do, hit me up and I'll show you who can. I'd love to hear more about your boot camp. And so this is my four-week program for women with PCOS and endometriosis who want to take control, build strong, healthy, and fertile bodies. And so essentially we go through a lot of what we've talked about here. We talk about food, you know, what foods are helpful in supporting certain issues, what foods are maybe less so helpful. We talk about supplementation. There's a huge focus. We spend a whole week just on stress and mindset because it's incredibly important. And like I said, it's not something that's often addressed by doctors and and things like that. And we do it in a group format again, right? So that we don't feel alone, so that we have community, so that we have accountability, even just sharing like recipe pictures, like food pictures and stuff like that. Like even that, it's been nice to see some of the communities, like some of the women will have a bad day or they'll go through like a really stressful situation, like a death in the family and stuff. And that group is where they feel comfortable enough to turn, you know, for support and and posting it and getting encouragement and stuff like that. And so that's really what we're, what I'm looking to cultivate. You know, you come to the program because you want to learn how to eat, for example. Uh, But then by the end, you're like, wow, I did not realize how important having this community was for my healing. And that's really why, you know, I have it for, for women, not just to learn about how to support their bodies, but also to have, you know, women to do it with, because my journey was super lonely. And if, something like that had existed back when I was diagnosed, I would have jumped right on that because it is so, so helpful. Any clients that stand out for you, their stories and what have they taught you? I learn new things from every single group. And it's part of the reason why I love my job so much because everyone's lifestyle is a little bit different, right? And everybody has to tweak things a little bit differently. The clients for me that really stand out are the ones who feel so broken down. Like they're just like, oh, I've tried so many things. I've been to, you know, X number of doctors. I've tried all the diets that are out there. I have a cupboard full of supplements. You know, I can do well for a week or two, but then I go, you know, I fall off the wagon. That's, that's the phrase I hear a lot. I fall off the wagon and I can never seem to get back on and I beat myself up and I just don't think I can do it. And when they start taking small, and I mean small, like, like trying one recipe a week, or like I said, five minutes a day of some kind of self-care or whatever, like really small incremental steps. And they're like, oh my gosh, like I slept through the night or my period was pain-free or I had a period that was only five days instead of 14 days or, you know, different things like that. Or even the ones that are like, man, I just had a really great poop. Like any of that stuff, you know what I mean? When you're so, you're feeling so dejected and you're just like, nothing is going to work for me. Nothing I try helps. No one can help me. I can't help myself. And you start to see these little changes and you celebrate that and you recognize that, right? Again, that self-awareness. Hey, yeah, you know what? I do feel better right? That is the stuff that really sticks out for me. And then, you know, I have the cases here and there where 
Um, like I had one last year, someone I was working with, she had both PCOS and endometriosis. She had stage four endometriosis, which is, um, you know, much more severe. It's kind of the most severe stage there is. She was trying to get pregnant. She had been through, I want to say two or three rounds of like ovulation medications to try and get pregnant. You know, they thought they were going to have to go down to IVF. And then all of a sudden she just ended up pregnant with all of those things going on. And she never thought she could do it. Like that's the thing, the ones who don't think they can do it and then they do it. That's just the best. And it's pretty scary too. Like if you're not ovulating, you're not getting that feel good time. Yes. It's almost like this permanent PMS state. They just kind of feel like moody all the time and tired all the time and just like craving all the time and bloated all the time and, you know, not sleeping and all this kind of stuff, this permanent PMS. But when you have those kind of regular ebbs and flows of your hormone throughout the cycle, like you're supposed to, then like you said, you get that time where you have more energy, you're feeling more bubbly, you feel more confident. Your hormone balance will impact your level of confidence, like estrogen and testosterone both play into this. Um, and so you'll feel more sensual, a little juicier, like happier, more more like you can take on what you have going on in your life. Um, and then there's the times, you know, at our period when our hormones are lower, and it's natural for us to feel more fatigued. It's totally natural and normal to feel like you just can't take everyone's shit for a few days. You know what I mean? But when it's like this every day, you know, 24, seven, 365, you don't feel well, you don't like, you know, people, they piss you off, you know, all these kinds of things, right? That's not normal. So what we want to get is that real ebb and flow where we have those times where we feel amazing. And those other times where we just feel a little more tired, a little more introspective, want to spend more time alone. That's all perfectly natural. I completely agree. I love the whole cyclical living. Agreed. Agreed. I have to say, like, I used to hate my period. And now it's one of my favorite times because I've learned that I get certain insights, shall we say, about things going on in my life at that time, um, because I do spend more time alone and more time resting. And so insights, ideas, decisions, you know, clarity often comes for me at that time. And if you allow yourself that time to rest, if you allow that time to yourself, you know, in that pre-period period, period of time, you'll be surprised at what kind of changes you can make for yourself and for your life in the future, just from what comes to you. And I love everything you said about ovulation. When I go through your reviews, those are all things people comment on and how they feel, you know, sensual, they feel sexy again, they feel confident. Like they're all the things they're saying. They feel, you know, joy, happy. They feel like they can actually function. Yes, absolutely. It's not just about getting through your life or just surviving your life. Like you want to enjoy it, right? You want to have fun. You want to feel happy. You want to feel content. You want to feel kind of like you can handle things, whatever comes your way. A lot of us just at this point and, and COVID has certainly added to this. We just don't feel that way. But just because, you know, maybe there's more restriction on how we can live our lives right now doesn't mean that we can't prioritize feeling good and also feel good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was really excited to talk to you. I wasn't ever like this interested in periods until like now. (laughs) (laughs) I find it fascinating personally, but it's just like the more I read about it, the more I'm like, wow, this is just crazy. Women are so powerful. Like, you know, girl power, like let's, you know, stand up for ourselves and our rights and take care of ourselves because truly like we are you know, what makes this world go round. And, and until we all kind of realize it, we're just kind of stuck, you know, we're stuck in this place of just feeling shitty about ourselves and feeling shitty in our bodies, you know, so definitely, definitely. And I think there's like not enough attention paid to 
our own internal power and how various things going on in the world or with the earth or even like lunar cycles and stuff, how all of those things affect us. I think that's super fascinating myself. I, I got away from some of that, like when I had my son, cause you know, like you're in that kind of newborn mode and you're just kind of getting going from minute to minute or hour to hour, let alone, you know, self-care practices and stuff. But the last couple of months, it's been nice to kind of get back into that. It's so calming because it's like, oh, it's not just me. I'm not just going crazy. Like there's actually something, you know, happening that's causing me but also lots of other people to feel you know a certain way this has been amazing thank you so much for this yeah thanks for having me it was awesome if someone wants to work with you how can they reach out to you so I'm on Facebook and Instagram as the Hormone Diva. So you can follow me there if you wish. If you want to contact me, you can do so through my website, which is www.thehormonediva.com. There's a contact page through there. Uh, be happy to hear from you. Also, my, my DMs and stuff on Facebook and Instagram are always open. And that's one of the things that I really work hard on is being you know available because I know going through my journey, you know, it was very lonely. Doctors weren't helpful. There was nowhere else I could turn to just kind of ask questions questions and feel understood. So, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'll help you in any way I can. Or if I feel like, you know, you'd be better referred to someone else, then I'm going to do that too, because I, I know like you need to get the care that works best for you. And if that's not me, that's cool, but feel free to, to reach out anytime. Um, my free Facebook community is the Happy Hormone Sisterhood. It's over five and a half thousand women in there right now, all with uh, PCOS and endometriosis. So huge community of women to, to, uh, go along your journey with. I really enjoyed creating this episode with Robin Srigley. Make sure you check out her page on Facebook and check out her group. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share and subscribe. 